Welcome to episode number 87 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty, and today we have our first guest joining us in our new mini-series entitled The Balancing Acts That Leaders Play. Binad Shankar is an executive coach, former managing director and co-founder of Genesis Institute, host of the Real Finance Mentor podcast, and is a frequent guest on CNBC and Bloomberg in Dubai. As a reminder, in this series, we'll have conversations with leaders from varying backgrounds, and we'll talk candidly about the balancing acts they've encountered during their careers and how they've navigated them. Welcome to the show, Binad. Thanks, Andy. Glad to reconnect after quite a few years and glad to be a guest on, on your podcast, which I never really expected, but thank you. Well, we're uh, it's going to be a it's going to be a great time. And uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, Benad and I used to work together uh, at Kaplan. Uh, uh, so, so we're uh, I'm looking forward to this show, uh, Benad. As we always do, before we get started, please sure. tell our listeners your story. All right. Thanks, Andy. Glad to do that. Um, so I initially followed the standard safe and predictable career path. Like I qualified as a chartered accountant uh, in 1992. That gives away my age probably right away. I shouldn't have said that. But anyway, worked briefly in accounting before switching to loan appraisal with a small industrial bank in India. And then lured by money and brand, Andy, I faithfully followed millions of my fellow countrymen to the Gulf, which is uh, UAE, Oman, where I clocked, I would say, an uneventful period with KPMG, um, Anderson, and then Ernst & Young in Oman and Dubai. And after it was clear that there was not a snowball's chance in hell of making it a partner <laughs> in the... <laughs> in the, what do you call it, dog-eat-dog uh, competitive place that was then the big five, as you would recall. I joined Nakheel, um, which is the g iconic Dubai government-owned property developer in 2003. And I was in my element there, Andy, because I thrived on this freedom and the steep learning curve, you know, project management, architecture, financial analysis. And I got double promoted to finance director um, after 13 months. Um, of course, then the aha moment came in 2009, Andy, after 17 years in corporate, um, post a few regrettable but thankfully short roles as finance director working for some clueless leaders with experiences that range from the stressful to the very stressful. Um, I left my well-paid corner office uh, executive director job at a listed asset manager to co-found and lead Genesis in May 2009. And of course, you know about the company, but for the listeners, I wasn't a bad trainer. <laughs> and under my managing directorship and supported by, I must say, small but amazingly self-regulated, efficient, and dedicated team, Genesis quickly grew. It became a highly respected training company. There's also the, that was also the CFA, largest CFA provider in the Middle East. Uh, with the client roles that included Saudi Aramco, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, in 2017, as Andy disclosed at the beginning of the podcast, Genesis was acquired by Capitaline Inc. And um, I'm a platform speaker, a qualified executive coach, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm also a bit of an adrenaline junkie. Um, Andy probably knows that as well. And I'm an endurance athlete who 
done a fair bit of long distance running, high altitude hiking, um, mountaineering, and some long distance and cycling as well. Done about five half marathons, two full marathons before my knee gave up and I stopped running. Um, <laughs> age catches up with you. Uh, I've summited about a dozen mountains across Europe, Africa, Nepal, and India, including six 5,000 plus meter peaks. And I've cycled about two or three times, about 500 kilometers over five days, long distance cycling. Uh, I got my CFA charter in 2006, and then I had this urge to learn something about psychology and coaching and mentoring. So I got the level seven qualification, coaching and mentoring, for the Institute of Learning and Management, a UK body. Uh, I have absolutely no plans to study further <laughs> uh, after going through my CA and my CFA. Um, I'm also happily, irredeemably single. Um, that's also a disclosure. And hence, don't share my home with the usual wife, five kids, four dogs, and two cats. Um, right. I've been to Dubai for the past 22 years. Uh, wow, time flies. And that wonderful city um, is where I call home. Excellent. Uh, Benad, if you had to pick one event in your life that just put rocket boosters uh, under your career, what, what would that be? Well, that's a tough one, Andy, because I can think of several seminal moments in my, my career, starting from when I qualified as a chartered accountant um, after a seven-year run of academic mediocrity. Um, and that success injected much-needed confidence that I never really lost, actually. But I suspect that what would be far more relevant and interesting to your listeners would be when I left corporate life to become an entrepreneur in 2009 at the age of 40. Now, to give you a bit of background, that was the height of the global financial crisis. Yeah. I worked in a listed asset manager. You know how it was, right? I mean, pretty volatile. I was headhunted, the only senior hire they had made in the last 12 months. I was managing a team of 20 across the MENA region. Good pay, great title. But it was a place where, you know, it was not right all the way to the top. Lack of operating freedom, very political organization, and a very hypercritical insecure and yeah, boss as well. Of course, I missed my friends in, in you know, uh, and my lifestyle in Dubai. So after one, one day after a long, unnecessary argument with my boss, I dwelt in all this in its entirety, Andy, all that evening and that night. And I was thinking, I don't need the title or the money or, you know, I, I live a ridiculously spartan lifestyle. I've always done. So I called up a co-founder of Genesis. Um, Genesis had been set up even then, but was running without any full-time uh, leader. And my co-founder suggested that I just return to Dubai and run Genesis. And that was like, you know, someone unshackling me, Andy. Uh, yeah. I still remember that, uh, that, that night, although it's been, what, 14 years? And next day, I returned my Blackberry. Well, yes, Blackberries then. <laughs> Your Blackberry. <laughs> yes, our wanted Blackberry, that sign of status and, and power, you know. I, yeah. I returned my Blackberry and access card to the HR director, and the rest they say is history. So there was a push, Andy, from corporate life and a pull from in terms of entrepreneurship and freedom and teaching, which I, which I love. Um, but crucially, it was also the first moment, Andy, and this is something that I, I sort of uh, recall now. Or, or realize now, rather. There's also the first moment when I found out what I wanted from life. I mean, they say that a crisis is also an opportunity, right? And yeah. that's often true. What they don't say is it's an opportunity to find out who you are and what your values are. And then that event, that, that, um, those days actually showed me what I wanted in life. And I'm thankful for that. So 
uh, although it was painful when I was going through it, in retrospect, uh, it, it worked out well. Yeah. Yeah. So you 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 found your purpose uh, dur- during that period. I, I think that's fantastic. Uh, let, let's get to the topic of uh, balancing acts, and it sounds like uh, you've been you've been navigating a number of them. Uh, if you had to choose the most important balancing act that leaders in general play, what what would that be? Tough one, Andy. Um, partly because it's impossible to speak for other leaders. Yeah, but I suspect the trickiest and the most important balancing act that many leaders face, how to balance between profits and people. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. So let's talk of two options, option A and option B, right? Option A is the powerful temptation to hire cheaply, as you know, but pay them low salaries, not invest in training, not invest in technology that will make work easier, overwork your staff because it costs to hire adequate support staff, uh, operate from a cramped dinghy office, not pay bonuses, even when you can afford to pay bonuses and when the people have done well, not promote people who deserve it, uh, not fire brilliant jerks because it will affect client satisfaction, hence profits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It's a very powerful temptation to do all this. It's even more powerful, Andy, when you're a startup or a small or medium-sized company where you have the convenient but usually incorrect excuse that you can't afford this, right? So that is option A. Um, Option B is the absolute necessity to attract and retain the best talent if you want to grow the business, especially if you have tough competition, especially if you're in the people business, like in training or something related to consulting or, or, or you know, advisory. And that, Andy, means doing almost the opposite of option A. Now, why is that a balancing act? Because, Andy, I think this actually... This above scenario, which is played out in so many companies, is also a trade-off between the short-term focus on expenses and profits and the long-term, which is investing in people. Right. And it's not always a straightforward black and white decision, although I might, I might be saying it that way. But many companies, uh, there are a lot of pressures from investors, shareholders, um, clients um, to sort of go for the short-term profit focus. And whilst leaders might want to think long term, I think, um, especially if you look at public companies, we have the pressure on you know, pressure on quarterly earnings and share price and things like that, and stock options. Suddenly, you lose sight of you know, the long term and focus on the short term. So yeah. I think that's that's I think the toughest balancing act that many leaders have to play, uh, whether in public or private companies. Well, thank you for that, because uh, that was a wonderful uh, 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 bit of support for uh, part of my next book, uh, which is uh, coming out this fall, uh, where uh, where we do talk about uh, I do talk about this people versus profits uh, uh, balancing act. Now, looking back on your specific career, what was the most mm. important balancing act that you played that had a direct impact on your success as a leader? Is the answer different from the people versus profits and why? Yeah, well, I wish I could neatly segue from the answer to the previous question <laughs> and say that is exactly the balancing act that I had to pull off. But I have to answer no, and probably it's good that the answer is no, because then you get a different perspective and a different balancing act. 
So my personal balancing act, Andy, was, wasn't between people and profit. It was between the person I was and the leader that your, my people needed. Mm. And, I think, uh, and I think it played a big part in the success of Genesis, the company I co-founded and, and that was acquired by Kaplan. I'll tell you why, because initially I, and I, I'm saying this in public, public record, initially I never cared that much about people when I was in corporate life or, you know, when you're making your way up the, the corporate ladder. It is all about client experience, um, uh, in the, especially when I started the company, but in the classroom and outside, a quality product and people, the staff just had to fall in line and make it happen. So I could be perceived as impatient, tactless, um, hold everyone in the company to the same high standards that I held myself. Um, but having said that, I never bothered that much with profits, Andy, because I knew that high quality would command a premium and trigger word of mouth, and which is exactly what happened. Right. But going back to my problem with people, which is a very succinct way of putting it, <laughs> problem with people, uh, I realized that in a service business like training, that's so heavily dependent on people, it's they who make the experience and the quality happen. Especially as you're growing and you as a leader, uh, can't clearly can't be and shouldn't be everywhere at once, right? especially when there's competition with ambitions of market dominance waiting by the wings to poach some of your best stuff, which right. did, which did happen a few times with the years before I changed my act. So I got better relatively as a leader, and how I did that was I had to raise my emotional intelligence to a different level. I had to become less of a micromanager, more trusting, more relaxed more respectful, more tolerant, more patient, you name it, right? Less judgmental. And, and the best thing was when one of my junior staff messaged me on WhatsApp two years after she had been scared by one of my interviews uh, with her and said, you are a cool boss, exclamation mark. Nice. That was nice. I, I hope I have the WhatsApp somewhere with me. I would like to get a screenshot of that. But so performance is still critical, Andy, but you can achieve that in friendly ways, right? I mean, and this change happened because this change in me happened, Andy, because the company culture was being affected by my attitude. And I finally felt uh, it, it dawned on me that I must change this identity that I was clinging on to out of ego or fear or whatever it is to become the leader the company needed. So did I change my identity via this transformation? Yes. Did I become a better people person? Yes. But was that by natural inclination? No. So it was yeah. never a smooth or easy act to pull off. And that was the balancing act. You're always trying to balance between who you are and what you're naturally inclined to do versus what the business and your people need. And I'm, I'm lucky and I'm fortunate, and the company was fortunate that I sort of managed to pull off the balancing act and still retain my sanity. Yeah, well, that, that that's wonderful, Benad. We're we're going to take a really short commercial break, but I think this is a wonderful segue into the next topic, which is lifelong learning. Uh, what you just right. described to me is just this this constant uh, period of uh, this constant process of evolution uh, that right. we're going through. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Andrew Tempty. The alignment of personal purpose with that of the business we lend our talents to is essential to achieving optimal work-life balance. 
But do you know what your personal purpose is? To help answer this crucial question, I've created a guidebook to help define your personal purpose and a vision statement to serve as your North Star. Visit andrewtempty.com purpose to download your free copy today. And we're back. This is The Balancing Act. I'm Andy Tempty. We've got uh, Binod Shankar with us today. Uh, Binod, on this show, we talk a lot about lifelong learning. Why is the concept of balance so important to being becoming an effective lifelong learner? Yeah, this is a very this is a fascinating and absolutely important question that touches on so many aspects. So at the highest level, Andy, there are two aspects to learning, I think. You learn about the internal, yourself, and you learn about the external. And that's, the, that's just one point I wanted to make at the beginning. Now, my way of learning about both is to read and to observe. Um, I, I read about 40 nonfiction books a year. And, yeah, well, um, it's just a passion, Andy, and, and uh, probably I'm a fast reader as well. Uh, probably I'm not reading as, as, as deep as I should. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I read about 40 books a year. And I introspect as I read um, these days. That's one thing. Plus, I watch carefully what others around me are, are saying and doing, Andy. And that's easy when, like me, you're personally taught and mentored thousands over a 15 year period. And you keep in touch with many of them, like I do. And a few of those former CFA students of mine are in managerial and leadership positions right now. So you keep in touch with them, you hear, you, you observe what they're saying, what they're going through, their issues in life. Uh, you read and observe and learn as you go along. And then what you learn, Andy, is that you're good at some things and you suck at some things, right? Yeah. You, you learn what you like and what you don't like. You learn what people love about you and what they absolutely detest, right? Um, and you, you learn what your tribe is and how to find that tribe and and very importantly, uh, my journey at least, you become self-aware. And you also learn that unlike textbooks or academia, almost nothing in the real world is black and white. And there is complexity, there is gray when you deal with people and organizations especially. So when that happens, Andy, uh, when you get to that level of self-awareness and you grasp that nuance, uh, it's easier to balance. And what the key point here is that balance at least my perspective is that balance is all about operating with deep knowledge and nuance. That's the connection between learning and balance and the balancing act. And I hope it's not too tenuous for you or the listeners. No, th thank you for that. And, you know, in the background of your response was also, mm. in addition to self-awareness, this concept of vulnerability, being mm. able to recognize that uh, you might be the one that's wrong and mm. you might be the one that needs to grow. So that self-awareness, that, that, that vulnerability, uh, thank you for bringing that to the forefront uh, for our listeners. Now, the, the, this next question, uh, I also talk a lot about the balancing act that we have to play between technical mm -hmm. skill and human skill in the modern world of work. You're an educator. You're a former managing director. I'd like to get your perspective here. Uh, so let's run a little thought experiment. Suppose you have a new job seeker sitting right in front of you right now. What advice do you give to them uh, on how to balance this 
human technical skill uh, aspect as they navigate their the beginnings of their career? Yeah. So I'm going to give a slightly longish answer, Andrew, if you, if you can pardon me. And this is something that's is very close to my heart, and hence the, the length and depth of the answer. Let me first dwell on my experience and observations on this very vital topic. So I come from India, where there's an obsession right from a childhood to do extremely well academically, mm. uh, right from primary school, and to get certified or qualified later as an engineer, a doctor, a chartered accountant, and often go further and get a master's like an MBA or a post-master's like a PhD. Now, what happens, Andy, of course, obsession means there's little or no time for non-academic pursuits or to travel or to connect with anyone outside the tiny circle of family and friends and classmates. You know? The kind of pursuits that will develop character and confidence. So what does this system produce? And, and I've been standing back and looking at this for quite a long time. It predictably produces bright, diligent, reliable, analytical human beings who easily become technically competent problem solvers after a few years at work. But it also, Andy, produces terribly boring, shy, <laughs> I mean, mind-numbingly mind -numbingly boring, colorless, odorless, shy, fearful, conservative, xenophobic, and inarticulate people who also lack self-awareness because they have been instructed by a deeply conservative society right from birth who they are and what they should do. So what happens when these people enter the workplace, also predictable, Andy, they struggle to connect. They struggle to trust, to collaborate, to communicate, to stand out and believe because they've never had to do this before in their lives. And hence what happens is they get overlooked for promotion, for plum roles, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, what I describe is true for all collective societies, not just India. And I suppose right. it happens even in individualistic societies like the US and Western Europe, yeah. uh, but probably less so than it happens in collective societies. But the problem exists. So... To go back to your question, what would I advise a fresh or youngster sitting in front of me, possibly for an interview, is our advice, yes, to study hard, get a good education, um, like, you know, chartered accountancy or, or something like that. Um, but that should never, ever come at the cost of ignoring the soft skills. Uh, the most important of which, in my view, are curiosity, communication, and confidence. Nice. Because the technical stuff, Andy, may get you a job, but the soft skills will help you rise in your career. That's been my personal experience of people I've taught, I've mentored, I coach, I see it all around me. And I hope you agree as well. Yeah. Well, it it is it based on my writings and the and, and the arc of this show, uh, the skills that you just mentioned, uh, you know, curiosity, uh, especially, uh, uh, you know, I would add into that uh, courage, the the courage yes. uh, yeah. to uh, to appropriately balance your technical skill and showing up as your whole human self into the world mm. of work. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, thank you for that, Bernard. That was a really, really thoughtful answer. Now, as we begin to close out this show, if you had access to a time machine and could send a message to an earlier version of yourself, what would that message be? God, you're putting me in an awkward situation, Andy. <laughs> That's going to be an awfully long list, I must tell you. <laughs> you, you, only, you, you only get one small piece of paper. <laughs> Okay, here we go. I'm going to embarrass myself in public, but hey, nothing new there. So, I think one, um, I, would, I, would, I would have loved to be more curious to question and challenge more. 
I would have loved to have had a career strategy. Why do chartered accountants? What next? You know, right. I just followed the crowd and, you know, um, and just did what everybody did. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to have started my fitness journey earlier. Um, I probably got into that in my mid thirties, um, and really into that in my early forties, but I wish I had you know, been more focused on working out and things like that, uh, because it's an energizer, both physically and mentally. Right. I wish I had learned to accept my mistakes um, and been less def- defensive and sensitive about this earlier in my life. Um, because I would have learned far more, I would have probably done much better in my career. Um, I'm less defensive, but um, I'm also very introspective these days, so that helps, but still. Uh, number five, I, I wish, now I know the importance of EQ as opposed to IQ. I wish I was more self-aware and self-managed earlier. I was pretty disciplined in terms of career and, and, and education, but in terms of people management, far less so. And finally, I wish I had treated people like they want to be treated, not, not like I want to be treated. Um, yeah. As Because I used to assume that everybody thought like me and shared the same values and personality traits and ambitions, and that's definitely not the case, as I found out <laughs> uh, uh, to my shock quite a few years later. So... And just in case, Andy, anyone thinks I'm too full of myself and I've achieved nirvana <laughs> and you know, Guru Guru Binoz sitting on some high mountain somewhere in the Himalayas, I must stress that I'm still far from where I want to be. I still screw up and I still sometimes revert to old behaviors. I mean, it's very difficult to shake off decades of conditioning. You know that, Andy. I mean, yes. it's, it's not that easy. And you can't really dramatically change who you are fundamentally, right? But the difference is now I know when and why I've screwed up. Right. And I also try and stretch my comfort zone when needed and embed some habits. So it's been a long and interesting journey. So let's see. Yeah. Yeah. Life is just filled with uh, loopbacks and, uh, you know, life is not a straight line. And uh, thank you for stressing that. So, uh, Binad, we're at the end of our time. Final question. Before the show, you shared with me a book project that you're working yes. on. Can you give our listeners a sense for what you'll be talking about in your forthcoming book? What's next for you? Well, before I talk about the book, I hope you'll review the book and nice, write a nice review, Andy. And uh, that's, that's, I'm, I'm looking forward to your review of the book. Yes. Um, but thanks for, thanks for uh, bringing up the book. It's a guide, Andy, to avoid the common mistakes that many managers commit in their careers. Um, such as lacking self-awareness, uh, ignorance of one's values, um, the obsession like that I referred to earlier with qualifications and technical skills, um, the mediocre uh, people skills, et cetera, et cetera. And very importantly, Andy, and you've probably seen that as well, the predictable stagnation that many get into in their 40s and 50s in terms of career fulfillment. Um, so I've, I've had, I've put all that together, plus sort of a lot of concise coaching tips as well. So, so why is the book important? For a few reasons. Well, one is that professionals and did not realize that they have to first work upon themselves before they can go out and manage the world around them. You know? I mean, you have to change yourself before changing the world. And that's a lesson learned quite late, if at all. Yeah. A second point I've realized is most managers and they don't have mentors and they continue repeating their mistakes and they get deeper into disengagement and misery and their bosses usually don't care that much to mentor them. Um, just supervise them, that's it. Um, thirdly, and I'm going to steal 
the title of a book from one of my favorite authors, Marshall Goldsmith, arguably the world's most high-profile executive coach. And he wrote this book once uh, with the title of What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Right. I don't know whether you read that book. It's, it's fascinating. And many executives are still working in the individual contributor mindset uh, with technical excellence and domain expertise as the key. And they tragically don't grasp that what got them to that position, manager, assistant manager, it's not going to get them to the CFO's office or CEO's office. So that's where all this book comes in. I look at it as a virtual mentor, Andy. It's like it's about, about avoiding accidents, grabbing chances, and not reinventing the wheel. The book is titled Let's Get Real and should be out sometime in May 2023, in a couple of months' time. And um, like I said, I'm hoping to get you to read the book and write your review because it means so much to me uh, as as you are a are your leader and an educator, and we share a lot of things in common. Well, I'll I'll uh, listening to uh, your description of the book right here. I'll I'll give our listeners uh, a, a a little nugget of advice when you're when you're choosing books to read. Uh, choose books like from my friend uh, Binad here, who have uh, A, been there, done that, and B, uh, they are being open and vulnerable about their experiences, uh, not sitting on that high hill that uh, Binad described uh, previously, but right here on the ground, standing right in front of you, the reader or the listener saying, you know what? I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I also did a lot of really cool things. And, uh, you know, this is my story. Uh, please read it so that you, the, the reader or listener, can make uh, significant progress on your personal continuous improvement journey, your journey of lifelong learning. Uh, avoid the books where uh, everybody seems to have it all figured out and they're standing on that high hill uh, staring down at you talking down at you um, mm -hmm. so so th this is uh, uh, that that will form uh, part of my written review for your book but I thought I would speak it uh, here, here <laughs> on the show so yeah so, uh, Binad Shankar, thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. Please like, subscribe, rate, share, uh, all that fun stuff. And we will see you next time. Thanks, Andy, for having me on the show. I look forward to connecting again soon. <laughs>